If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 13 this morning. That's on page 872 in your pew Bibles, Luke chapter 13. We'll be beginning in verse 10. The hymn we just read, we sang, hymn we just sang, at last the march shall end, the wearied ones shall rest. And in our passage today, we find the one who will grant us that rest. One who grants us that rest now on this, the Sabbath day of rest, but more importantly, the one who will give us eternal rest. The miracle-working God, Jesus Christ. With that expectation, let us hear God's word from Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 10 and reading through verse 17. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Give him thanks for that word and ask him to bless its reading and preaching. God, we thank you for your word. What a miracle it is that it has been so preserved for us that we 2,000 years later can can put ourselves there in the synagogue and, and see Jesus and hear his words and experience the miracle that he did in this text. We pray that we would, like this woman, find freedom from the disabling spirits of this world. Through Christ, our Savior and King. Amen. People praised Christ, glorified God for all the glorious things that Jesus had done. Imagine 18 years of not being able to stand up straight. Perhaps one day the woman woke up and felt a little sore, you know, a crick in the back of her spine. Thought that's kind of weird. Maybe I slept on it wrong last night. She went about her business that day. It was kind of annoying, but eventually she kind of forgot about it until the next morning she woke up and same thing. She thought, well, this is kind of odd. I can't exactly go to the chiropractor. Those didn't exist orthopedic surgeon wasn't on call, so she went through her life. 18 years of it, not being able 
to stand up. Is, is there anything we take more for granted than when you wake up in the morning, you get out of bed and you stand up? But from the moment her life was different that morning was the moment her life changed forever. I mean, if you have a child who is, I don't know, in preschool, picture that child graduating from college. And doesn't that seem like a lifetime away? 18 years. 18 years of, of not being able to stand up straight. Now you know why the people rejoiced when they saw the glorious things that Christ had done. The last few times together, we've seen the glory of Christ at his baptism. When the heavens opened, the voice of the Lord spoke, the Spirit descended. We saw the glory of, of Jesus revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration last week. As the veil was removed for a time and the people could see Jesus in all his glory. And today is no less a glorious text. The creator of this world is going about the business of recreating this world. Of finding those who are ill finding those who are literally stooped over, who are weighted with a burden, not merely of life, but of a disabling spirit of Satan himself. Verse 16, bound for 18 years and bringing healing. And we can't but miss the fact that this happens on the Sabbath. That is not a coincidence. That this is not merely background information. Otherwise, the text wouldn't return to it again and again. The fact that the day of rest, the day that looked back to the seventh day of creation, when God looked and saw that everything was very good, is now the day that Jesus comes and brings rest to this woman. And again, making things very good. The New creation of a miracle-working God. Perhaps you're desirous of this rest in your own life. Perhaps you haven't been bent over for 18 years, but surely you are tired. Surely physically or emotionally or spiritually, you need rest this morning. Friends, it is no coincidence that you are here in this place on this day. For this continues to be the day in which Christ gives us rest. The Sabbath day of rest is a glorious gift of Christ to his people. That's what we want to consider this morning. We, we want to begin by looking at the reality of the Sabbath. The reality of this day, both in this text and in our own lives but when we, when we acknowledge the reality of the Sabbath, we must immediately deal with, we deal with the danger of the Sabbath. The danger of becoming like this synagogue leader who turns it into a day of bitterness and hardness of heart. But then thirdly, we'll consider the future of the Sabbath. Because as, as glorious as the people recognize this day to be, it is merely a foretaste of a future, even better Sabbath rest to come. Let's begin by, by acknowledging the reality of the Sabbath. Verse 10 tells us that Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues 
on the Sabbath day. Luke doesn't tell us which synagogue it was, but we know a little bit about Jesus geographically in this text, because back in chapter 10, Luke tells us that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. At the very, actually very end of chapter 9 of Luke, verse 51, the text tells us, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So from Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 19, it's called Luke's travel narrative, his travel log of Jesus. So he's left the north and he's made his way going to Judea, to Jerusalem in the south. And on the Sabbath days, he's stopping and going into the synagogue. And as we know from other scriptures, as was his custom, he was teaching. He was revealing God's word to the people. And it's as it were that because he knows where he's going, because he knows that the cross is waiting, it's almost like the cross is casting a shadow on everything that goes before. So we see that in our very own chapter, verse 22. Again, he's going, journeying towards Jerusalem. Verse 11 of chapter 17, verse 31 of chapter 18, again and again, Luke stresses, he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to Jerusalem. In other words, he's going to die. He is on the path that leads to one place, to Calvary, which leads to one place, the empty tomb. So everything we read has the cast of that light being shadowed upon it by the cross, pending, hanging, Casting a shadow over everything Jesus is about to do. So he's on the synagogue. He's in the synagogue on the Sabbath day here in verse 10. And again, Luke does not uh, merely mention the fact that it is the Sabbath as a throwaway line. The minute though we mention the word Sabbath, it's sometimes tempting for us to tune out. We think, oh, that's an Old, that's an old Testament thing. That's something that the people of God had to deal with in the Old Testament. But now that Jesus has come, we don't have to worry about that, that Sabbath-keeping stuff anymore. In fact, in fact, even some scholars will say this. They'll say there's, there's nine commandments in the New Testament that we see reaffirmed, but we never see the Sabbath reaffirmed. Therefore, we, we don't have to keep the Sabbath. And I've read these arguments, and they never seem to mention... For instance, the book of Hebrews, where the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4 that the Sabbath yet awaits the people of God. That is actually our task now to, to strive to enter the eternal rest of God. That, that the Sabbath is still a part of who we are as God's people. So although, yes, we may not be observing the Sabbath just like they did in the Old Testament, we cannot deny the fact that Scripture holds out a promise of continued rest for God's people, continued Sabbathing for God's people. Now, you know, elsewhere in the New Testament, Jesus had no problem abrogating, uh, canceling, saying this is no longer in effect certain aspects of the Old Testament law. Do you remember that when his disciples got in trouble uh, for what they were eating? Jesus says, all foods are clean. And Mark actually interrupts his narrative to say Jesus was declaring all foods clean. He was canceling. He was saying this was fulfilled, that part of the Old Testament law. Uh, people get on his disciples for not doing the ritual washings before they eat. And Jesus says, they don't need to do that stuff anymore. That is fulfilled in me. These disciples are criticized because they don't fast. Jesus says, they'll have 
time to fast. They don't need to do that right now. He says that is not valid in this day and age. He says, those who are pointing to me, they're no longer needed. But he never says that about the Sabbath. He, he certainly had opportunity to do so. I, I went through all the Gospels and made a list of all the times that Jesus has a, a Sabbath conversation with his people. A conversation about what this day of rest means for his disciples. In Matthew chapter 12, when disciples are caught, caught, picking grain on the Sabbath, Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. He wouldn't say, I am Lord of an institution that doesn't matter anymore. I am the Lord of something that has passed away and no longer important. Matthew 12, he heals on the Sabbath, has a conversation. Mark 2, another uh, account of the picking of the grain. Mark 3, he heals. Luke 4, he casts out an unclean spirit. Luke 6, another account of picking grain. Same chapter, he heals on the Sabbath. Luke 14, the very next chapter from us, he heals a man on the Sabbath. John 5, at the pool of Siloam. John 7, he heals on the Sabbath. John 9, he heals the blind man. You get the point. All these times, all Jesus had to say, if confronted with people saying, why are you acting like this on the Sabbath? All he had to say was, oh, Sabbath doesn't matter anymore. It's not what he says, is it? Instead, what does he do? He says, I claim this as my own. I am Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, the Sabbath was made for you. The Sabbath was made for man. He says, not man for the Sabbath. It is God's gift to us as his people. He says, I, I want to show you what this day really means for us. That you may rest fully, not merely physically, but spiritually you may find rest and meet. Isn't that what Jesus says? Come, all you who are weary, heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, I will be your Sabbath. So if this is true, our thoughts immediately go, all right, fine. If there is a Sabbath, get to the point where you tell me what I'm allowed to do. Or get to that point where you tell me what I'm not allowed to do. Isn't that why you reformed people have the Sabbath anyway? So that you can make sure your, your rules are kept on that Sabbath day. And we can think back to, you know, 17th century Massachusetts. And then the men going around making sure that the, the parishioners weren't kissing their wives. Or doing too much cooking. Or doing all these things that they weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath. And that's, that's where our hearts go, isn't it? That's where this man's heart and our text went to, wasn't it? That's why I called the, the second point of our sermon the danger of the Sabbath. I've, I've taken this beautiful gift of God and rest in Christ and turning it into something pharisaical. Jesus, on the Sabbath day, as 11, verse 11 tells us, he meets this woman who has this disabling spirit, as he mentions later, is actually from Satan. So, so she has been, we don't know if it's full demon possession or whatever it is, she has been touched by the brokenness and the rebellion of this world so that she's been bent over for 18 years. And what does Jesus do? Verse 12, he goes to her, calls her to her and says, woman, you are freed from your disability. So the Sabbath is a day not of pharisaicalism. It is a day of freedom. You are freed from your disability. He lays his hands upon her. She's immediately made straight. She glorifies God. And then we get to verse 14. 
Then we get to this ruler of the synagogue, the one tasked with the spiritual oversight of this woman. She should have been the, should have been the one who's been praying for her the most over these last 18 years. Should have been the one who was most satisfied to see, to see God and all his glory come in and heal this woman. And instead, he is indignant. He's mad. He's angry. He's not finding rest in Christ, is he? He's upset. He says, there are six other days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed. As if it's like something you can just get out of the dispenser. You know, come on one of those days and get your healing, folks. Not on the Sabbath day. And don't you just want to spit out your coffee at this guy? I mean, you read this, you're like, what, what, what is not getting through to you? But like I said, how often can our hearts turn exactly the same way? If anyone is more strict than I am on the Sabbath, then he's a Puritan. If anyone is more lax than I am on that day, well, then he's a heathen. I've, I've got it right. And anyone who is more strict than I am must have it wrong. Anyone who is less strict than I am must get it wrong. This is the danger of the Sabbath. That we in our, the ways in which we could twist every good thing that God gives us, can twist an entire day into a bunch of, of rules that we don't even perhaps understand why they're there. But, it, but is there a better way? Does rejection of Pharisaicalism, which is good, mean a rejection of any guidelines, of any thoughts? Well, how might I glorify God on this day? I like to think about it this way. To know how to best keep the, the fourth commandment, Know how to best keep the commandment, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I think the best way to consider the fourth commandment is to consider it through the light of the greatest commandment. And the second one that is like it, Jesus says, think of the fourth commandment, Sabbath keeping through the lens of how do I love the Lord my God? Follow my heart, follow my soul, follow my strength on this day. What well, can do so positively? by doing some things. We can do it negatively by rejecting other things. Positively, Jesus and this woman show us the way, don't they? Verse 10, what is Jesus doing? He is worshiping. He he is teaching. He, He is reveling in God's word. This woman, verse 13, what does she do when she's healed? She glorifies God. Right there, we have a big portion of how we may positively love the Lord our God on this day. We may glorify Him. We we may be part of the people of God gathered for worship. We can open our attention, our thoughts, our minds, our very eyeballs to His Word as others, or if we're in my position, are teaching it to God's people. Jesus models for us the fact that He was there on that day at the synagogue to praise and to glorify God. And through His actions, Toward this woman, she does the same. Let's not overcomplicate it. You want to know how to keep the Sabbath day holy? Praise and honor and glorify God. Gather with his people. Rejoice in his word and his truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. She praised God for her deliverance that she received from her Savior. Isn't that why we're here? To glorify God for the deliverance that we have received from Christ, not merely from a disabling spirit. But remember, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, where he will provide deliverance not merely from a disabling spirit, but from all of our sin, 
from all the rebellion of this world, all the brokenness, all the ways in which both our bodies and our souls do not act the ways in which they were created to do. So that's how we positively love the Lord. How do we negatively not love the Lord our God? Or what should we turn away from? How should we think about things we ought not to do on the Sabbath? Well, if to love the Lord our God positively is to worship Him, to, to negatively not love the world is to turn away from idols. To turn away from those which seek to claim our hearts. To say, no, I don't, I don't need to strive after the things of this world on this day. I don't need yet another day in this week to add to my income. I don't need yet another day to, to, to strive after the things that make this world a place that chases after idols. Isn't this what the Sabbath is about? Turning away from all those things that we chase after six days of the week, thinking they will give us rest. Not that they're bad. Idols usually aren't bad things in and of themselves, are they? They're things that we, though, use to replace God. A certain amount of money. You know, we, or perhaps it's simply the way we use our time. We think we have homework to do on Sunday because we spent our time poorly on Saturday, not thinking about how we could dedicate the next day, not to our tasks of this world, but to resting in Christ. If we love the Lord our God by worshiping and honoring him on this day, we also love him by turning from those idols, turning from those things that the world does on this day that makes it to them seem like just another day. In fact, for some people, Sunday is especially about themselves, isn't it? It's a day I have all to myself. It's a day I don't have to go to work. A day I can, you know, go do whatever I want all day. It's all about me. Christ tells us this day is all about the rest that we find in Him. The true rest is resting from our labors. It's what uh, the voice that John hears in Revelation tells him. That what? That when we enter Christ's presence, we rest from all our labors. We get a foretaste of that now on the Sabbath day. So that's how we love the Lord our God on this day. What about the second greatest commandment? That we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. The very commandment that Jesus referenced in our reading of the law this morning. Well, negatively, we don't dislove. We don't love our neighbors in a poor way by doing what? By making them work for us. Have you ever, have you ever read uh, the fourth commandment and noticed that most of the attention actually isn't on what you do? Have you noticed that? Exodus chapter 20, which I did not have my finger in there, so you could give me a minute to turn. Exodus chapter 20, when the Ten Commandments come, the Lord says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. Then he says, neither should you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, now why is so much of the fourth commandment focused on other people? It's not because you're supposed to go around and make sure that you're like a Gestapo agent seeing what's going on between the curtains, making sure that no one else is working on the Sabbath day. No, for for the original hearers, this would have been all those who were under their... uh, under their jurisdiction, 
all of those in their household, all of those who for other six days of the week would be working for them. Yes, your sons and your daughters, you would be giving them tasks to do six days of the week. Yes, your, your livestock would be working for you. Yes, your, your servants would be working for you. So the way to love your neighbor well on this day is to not make them work for you, to not make them cook for you and clean for you and serve you and do all these things that you ought not be forcing them to do on a day of rest. That if the day is about resting, then the rest ought not come at the expense of others. Well, that's the negative side. How do we not love our neighbors? How about positively? How do we proactively love them on this day? Our catechism encourages us to pursue works of necessity and mercy. Love your neighbor by, by doing good works for them of necessity and mercy. Some things are, are necessary on the Sabbath day. Jesus says himself in, in verse 15, doesn't he, that y'all, you all go, you know, water your, your cattle on the Sabbath day. Some things have to be done. You can't not milk the cows on the Sabbath day. Some are deeds of necessity. It is loving to that cow to milk her. But also deeds of, of mercy. In other words, deeds that show forth Christ. For what, what is mercy of nothing less than a reflection of how Christ has been toward you? Is not this a great deed of mercy that Jesus does for this woman? So you ask yourself, if I allow my neighbors not to work, if I allow to give them rest, how can I, how can I magnify and multiply the rest of my neighbor by being Merciful to her, being merciful to him, showing forth the love of Christ. That's why I think verse 16 is so, so beautiful. It says, And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Jesus says it's not the worst day. It's not even an equal day. It's the best day to do a work of mercy like this. To show forth the rest that Christ has given us. The mercy that he will pour out for his people in just a few weeks when he gets to the cross. In Luke chapter 22, chapter 23 as the mercy of God shows forth fully to his people. And the fact that he is going somewhere on this journey, the fact that Luke 13 is not the end of the road for him, is a hint to us that there is a future Sabbath to come as well. We've considered the reality of the Sabbath. We've considered the danger of the Sabbath and how to avoid that danger. But we cannot conclude without thinking about the future of the Sabbath. Where is all of this going? Earlier, I referenced Hebrews chapter 4, where the writer to the Hebrews encourages his audience in what is probably a, a written sermon. He encourages them that, to know that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He says, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. In, in Hebrews 4, he's quoting from Psalm 95, which equates the rest of the people of God to the promised land. A hint for us that the full rest that we are still awaiting for Christ is to come in the promised land. The new 
and better Jerusalem, the, the new heavens, the new earth that Christ is even now preparing for us. Even now, he is doing a work of mercy for you, preparing that place of eternal Sabbath rest. If exalting and glorifying Christ is our future, if exalting and resting in the one who came to give us rest, ultimately not merely through his touch and his word here, but through his crucifixion and through his resurrection from the dead, ushering in the new life that will be ours in glory. We know that future rest awaits us. But don't forget the fact that what we do today is like, like an appetizer. It's like a foretaste of that rest. We come here almost literally to get a taste of heaven. We rest on the Sabbath day because in it, this is the closest in this life that we will get to glory. It's a day in which we rest and delight and honor and glorify Christ. And that is what we will be doing in all of glory. Then if we do it now, we are resting fully in him. I mentioned earlier that originally the Sabbath was the seventh day of the week. And you recall why that was? Because after God created the world very good in six days, he, he rested on the Sabbath day. And Scripture gives it almost as if he sat back and admired all that he did, knowing that his good work was completed. But now we no longer have the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week. Now, do we? We have it on the, well, we have it on the eighth day of the week, the first day of the new week. Because now we no longer simply look back at the first creation and how it was very good. Now, because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, the first fruits of the new creation, we look forward to the day in which Christ returns and he makes all things new. And once again, we can look at his new creation and see that it is very good. That is our hope. That is the true freedom that Christ has come to give to his people, that we will be with him forever at a Sabbath rest. But if it's being prepared right now, if it's like a cake in the oven, the Sabbath day is like the aroma of that reaching our noses. It's not there yet, but we know it's coming. And each and every Sabbath day, we get another fresh whiff of the aroma of the new heavens and new earth. What a gift to us. We would be foolish not to take advantage of it. We would be foolish not to rest in this day looking forward to what will happen, precisely what will happen as it's described in verse 17. This text ends in the same way in which this world will end. Did you catch it at the very end of our text? As Jesus said these things, two things happened. The adversaries were put to shame and the people rejoiced in all the glorious things that were being done by him. Christ returns, the adversaries will be put to shame. The enemies that steal our rest, the, the, the diseases that eat away at our bodies, the world and the, and the, and the devil that, that seek to pull us away from our Christ, they will be put to shame. We will glorify, we will glory in Christ and his rest forever. We are totally freed from anything in this world that becomes an idol 
anything in this world that, that bends us over either literally or figuratively, we will have rest in Christ. And the blessing is that we get to enjoy it now on this day. Let's praise him for that. Let us take advantage of that. Let us revel in the rest that Christ has won for us. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that in, in Christ, your work of creation is completed. Although we haven't yet seen it, we know that even now, he has a glorious resurrected body. That as he rose from the dead to, to seal that, that sacrifice for us in, in a glorious new body, that one day, as Paul tells us, we will share that with him. We'll be whole. We'll be complete. We'll be freed. We'll be surely and entirely resting in him. May we enjoy that even now on this blessed day, this first day of the week that you've given us to do that. Pray that in his name. Amen.